The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you, found me. you freed me, held back the waters from my release.
stepped into our Egypt, Father. The God of creation took our place. The God of creation took our
let me ask you something. We're going to take communion. That implies that we are in community. Sometimes I think we forget that that community is much larger than just us or even Portales or Roosevelt County or our state or even our nation. How many of you are acquainted with organizations like Voice of the Martyr or Open Door? Uh, these are these are ministries that typically do not they don't send missionaries. They go in and support people that are in cultures where the gospel is not a welcome intrusion, and they support them with supplies and and uh, make the rest of the world aware of what's going on when they are in prison or in various situations. So. Um, it's fitting that we're talking about that this morning because June is designated as Christian Martyrs Month. And that's probably because traditionally uh, the 29th of June is observed as the day that Paul was, was uh, martyred. So um, <coughs> we need to remember that we are a larger community. Jesus prayed in John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And you see, there's, there's not a free church and a persecuted church. There's just a church, and we are part of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read that just, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And in Romans 12:5 we read, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And again, in Ephesians, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So, perhaps we can understand a little bit more about how we are all a body with a kind of a graphic illustration. Let's just pretend that I have a placard across my chest that says the American Church. And let's put Sudan on my forehead and uh, let's make my right hand North Korea and my left, let's call it Afghanistan. And on my right foot, let's call that Colombia. And let's make my left foot Sri Lanka. And um, maybe we could put um, uh, China and Indonesia on my arms and, and other places on my thighs. Okay, and then I want you to take out an imaginary hammer and hit me real hard in the forehead and yank that knife out of your pocket, stab me in Central Asia, and, and shoot me in Colombia. And I mention that because just yesterday I was reading a story about a young lady in Colombia who was shot on the front porch of her home in front of her husband and children. And the guerrillas had gone and mined the road to get to her so that emergency vehicles couldn't get to her when they went to kill her. And that was all for the crime of sharing the gospel with one of the guerrilla fighters. And that foots Sri Lanka. Let's blow it up on a calendar that we keep in our bathroom that Debbie and I see every morning when we get out of the shower from Voice of the Martyr. It talks about 
various places that we should be concerned about that particular day. And yesterday it was to remember the folks from the Zion Church in Sri Lanka that suffered a bombing on Easter Sunday in 2019. But in Hebrews we read that that uh, we are to pray with those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you're also in that same body. You see, I would be tending to my wounds. We need to be tending to our brothers and sisters. But these folks, they don't want you to pray for them. Did you know that? They don't want you to pray for them. They want you to pray with them. And the reason they say pray with us is because they want to be sustained in their strength and their courage. They don't want their faith to falter. They don't want to deny Jesus, which would, in many cases, free them. And they know already, the minute that they named Christ in those societies, that they are going to be persecuted. But they're also praying for us that we will not falter, that we will not deny our Lord. But you see, we don't have to be thrown in prison We don't have to have persecution per se. All we have to have is somebody say, I don't like what you said. I'm offended. And we'll back down. And we also get tied up with the things of this world that are more interesting, more fun. It may be more fun to be out on the golf course or at the lake this morning than it is to be in church. But we have a purpose when we're here. We are a community. We are a body. We encourage each other. So they are praying for us to not fail, to not falter. So we don't have to look beyond these, this room to find people who need us to support them either. There are people in this room, I dare say, that are struggling to put one foot in front of the other. If you ask them out in that lobby, how are you this morning? They're going to put on their plastic smile and they're going to say, I'm just fine. Everything's great. But what they really need is for a brother or sister to come alongside and say, what's really going on? I'll be there for you. Let me pray with you. Let me be there to support you. You see, we are one body. So this morning, as we gather around this table and take our communion, I'd like you to do it a little differently. I would like to take just a moment and pray for us, and I'd like for you to take out your wafer and hold it. And after we pray, we'll partake of the emblems together. Okay? Father, we are grateful for your idea of church, the one body that we can be together, support one another, Father, help us to not draw a circle around ourselves or even our small families, but to see the whole church that you want us to be one with. Father, may we support in prayer those that we can't be with, and may we be available to those that we can minister to right here in our own community, in our own circles. Father, thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made that gives us the promise of eternal life with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you consider yourself forgetful? 
Got a new bit for Jeff Foxworthy. We ought to call him. You might be forgetful if, all right, if you've ever used the flashlight on your phone to look for your phone. Uh, anybody? Uh, if you've ever, you can't find your keys and after hours of looking for your house keys, you go to the front door and they're in the front door. Anybody? Uh, okay. All right. I'm not attacking. I'm just saying we've, we've all done it. If you know the lyrics to every Tom Petty and Journey song, but you can't remember why you're in this room. So you walk out and you walk back into the room so you'll remember anybody? Because that's the only way I can ever figure it out. Uh, i got to go back to the other end of the house, figure out why I'm in here. If uh, you've ever forgot to take out your contacts and you go to sleep and you wake up and you reach over and you put your glasses on and everything's blurry and you freak out, uh, it, that we could be forgetful. Uh, I do what I call the leaving the house Macarena. I got my wallet, got my phone, got my keys, got my chapstick. Uh, anybody do that? Uh, we're, we're all doing that. I got to make sure I got them all. Uh, it is very easy to be forgetful. And it doesn't take much to forget all God has done for us. You see, for Israel, all it took was a grumbling stomach for them to forget and a, and a grumbly stomach that was louder than their memory. God had provided. He had delivered. He had done amazing miracles. All of those plagues, splitting the sea, going through on dry land, the sea swallowing them up. They had seen all of that, but now they're hungry. And all of a sudden they're going, hey, let's go back over to Egypt. It was pretty good over there. You see, the empty stomach out-preached the evidence of the exodus. It doesn't take much for people to forget God. We get busy with life. We get busy getting stuff. We have a pagan culture that doesn't honor God, so it's easy to slough Him off to the side and do what we want. The lyrics to that first song today, I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. We sing it. But how quickly we forget you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. We're starting a new series today called Streams in the Desert. It's our focus for the summer that we're going to be all over the text, but really want us to focus on that our God can bring life into places that seem dry. That it seems like we're not much together. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 35 if you want to start turning that way. If you're joining us on the radio or online, we're glad you're with us at Central Christian Church in Portales. Get into the book of Isaiah in chapter 35. We need to know this. Our God will deliver. But it may not be on our time frame. Now, full disclosure, I picked this theme, series theme, about two or three months ago when it was super, super dry and everything was brown and, you know, it made sense. And all of a sudden, the last couple of weeks, we get rain, everything's green. You might be going, well, this doesn't make any sense. Actually, we're still in a drought. We are still in a measurable drought, and God can bring moisture into broken and dry lives. Join me in Isaiah chapter 35. It says verse 4, but I want to go back to verse 1 and start the whole chapter there. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. 
The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. Then the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when He comes, He'll open the eyes of the blind. He'll unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. We need some backstory. Now, I know many of you have been in church for a long, long time, but maybe this is your first time here or your first time back in a little bit, so you need to know a little bit about what we're looking at. In Bible history, God's people, Israel, became slaves to Egypt. Anybody know why? I can give it to you in two words. Israel forgot. Israel was God's people. It was God's chosen, but they forgot. All through the book of Genesis, God is providing and he's raising up patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac. And we get to the story of Joseph. Joseph is the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph's brothers don't like him. They sell him into slavery. He goes off to Egypt as a slave. But in Egypt, he is raised to the basically the vice president of the, of the whole entire country. And a famine comes on God's people. And the people go to Egypt, and Joseph saves God's people. Problem. They stayed there in Egypt and got accustomed to Egypt, the culture, and they just lived there. And sadly, they stopped being God's people and were just people. They were just people that did what everybody else did. Now, please understand, there was always a remnant. God was always watching out for everybody of his people. But the people as a whole, not the government, not the leaders, the people chose self over God. That's why they were slaves in Egypt. They just started growing, and the Pharaoh said, well, we've got to make them slaves, or they'll take us over. And it reminds me, when we put our trust in our own strength, it will lead to our weaknesses. It will lead us to weakness, and we will become weak. But this passage is not about when they were in Egypt. This passage that we just read in Isaiah 35 is about when they were in Babylon. They were slaves in Babylon. Is this the same time? No, this is a separate time. You mean to tell me, Don, that God's people got to be slaves again? Yes, that's actually how it all played out. And because they forgot about God. God delivered them from Egypt. The whole bit of Exodus and the Ten Commandments and the, through the sea. And, the, and then they wander in the desert for 40 years. And then the book of Joshua comes along. And God says, Joshua, take them into the promised land. 
And there's the Battle of Jericho where they march around, they blow the trumpets. And then half of the book of Joshua, which is really interesting. Joshua is this powerful book, but half of it is this whole part about Joshua gave this tribe this land, and then he gave this tribe this land. And I always got bored with that part. I was like, what's the point of this? Here's the point. God said, go take your land. Go take the land. Do everything that God said. Problem. They didn't take all the land that Joshua told them to take. Most of them did, but some of them quit a little early. I'll pick on the tribe of Dan. Dan was one of the 12 tribes, and Joshua told him, told, told Dan, the tribe of Dan, you are going to go take this coastal area. It's going to be beautiful. You're off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, so you'll have a travel route, and you'll have to choose what you're going to do. You'll have a travel route. It's going to have great grasses and mountains. You'll have everything you need, but there's people there. You're going to have to go do something about it. It's going to take work. You can find all of this in Joshua 19. And they all looked at that and went, you know, that seems like a lot of work. But here's this city over here. God had given Dan an entire state, and they chose a town. And they went and conquered this town over, uh, and they just called it Dan. And they began to settle there, and they began to intermarry there, and they began to just live life. They intermarried with the Philistines. They didn't listen. They didn't listen to God. In fact, in Judges chapter 18, they started building graven images to worship. Hmm, does anybody remember those Ten Commandment things? That seemed kind of important, right? And that first one was, let me see, love God. Okay, and that second one was something about making idols. God's not a big fan of that, right? The very first two things God told them to do, they didn't do. And if you fast forward to the end of this book in Revelation, in chapter 7, when God is listing out all of the tribes of Israel that are in heaven, Dan is conspicuously absent. It's not even there. It doesn't even exist anymore. That's big. It was such a big deal that a theologian in the second century named Hippolytus of Rome, he postulated that the Antichrist would come from the tribe of Dan because it doesn't even exist anymore. Okay, so what does all this mean, Don? Who cares? What are you talking about? Here's my point. My point is this. When people ignore God's orders, you should expect trouble. You should expect problems. And Israel forgot why God saved them from Egypt, and they went back into slavery, this time to Babylon. Babylon's a big country, the big power, and that's where we get to the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Remember that story? That happens when they are, are as slaves in uh, Babylon. But Daniel, once again, a godly man, is raised up to, for lack of a better term, the vice president of that nation, and he is the one that saves the, tri the people of Israel. And I, I think it's really interesting they raised, that God raised up Daniel. He didn't change the country. He just did God's work. He did God's work in an ungodly place. And he shined God's glory. God never forgot Israel. He never abandoned them. And that's where we sit when we're in this passage in Isaiah chapter 35. Yes, that was a lot of backstory, but you need to see the big picture. Now look at verse 4 of what we just read. He says, to those with fearful hearts, God is coming. 
Folks, we've been talking for weeks that context is, t- is king. In chapter 33, 34, and 35, God is telling Isaiah to tell the people, I'm coming. I will deliver. I haven't forgotten you. And God will make it all correct. He spends those three chapters making declarations against countries that were against God. They are, they are all going down, and it's coming. God will restore, but he may not do it on our timetable. Will we trust God that he knows what he's doing, that he is in control, that he has never left the throne, even when it's not working out in our eyes? You see, that's a big challenge. Will we trust when the answer takes a long time? Look at verse 3. I love how he says, strengthen those with tired hands, encourage those with weak knees. Anybody? (laughs) Did that ring true with anybody? Like, oh man, mine have been hurting a lot lately. Uh, Maybe that's what he's speaking. You know what God is saying here? He's saying, I am with you. No matter how achy you are, no matter how tired you are, no matter worn out you are, no matter how much life has beat you up, I am with you. You know what God is not saying here? He is not saying it's going to be exactly as you want it. That's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow. He doesn't promise to take our troubles away. It's never been promised in here. That's a big problem. I think, I think it's a big problem for the church. I think people come to church. They come to Jesus. Oh, I'll get baptized. Oh, I'll come to church. I'll be good and all of my problems will go away. Everything will be okie dokie. doesn't work out that way. He didn't say he would take us out of the desert. He will bring water to us in the desert. We got to look at our prepositions. We got to change how we use our words. Our God will deliver, but we have to address the prepositions. God delivered Daniel in the lion's den or from the lion's den? In the lion's den. He didn't get to escape it. He went into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to the king. And they said, even if, even if he, uh, God could save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. Did God save them from the fire? No, he saved them in the fire. We need to look at our prepositions. Friends, I don't know what you're going through. I just want you to know that you're not alone. You may be staring down the barrel of a, of a divorce. I promise you, God can save you in the pain. He can save you in addiction. He can save you in brokenness. He can save you in dryness. But maybe not from. Because the desert, the desert can be a place of salvation. It can be a wonderful place of refreshing even in the desert. This is important. Friends, get this. Christianity has never been self-help. There's a whole section of those books at Barnes & Noble. If you want to go there, there's gobs of them. They'll, uh, you can get help for anything you want. It is not about how much you can do. Some people will come to church and they'll, they'll, 
they'll just barely make it in here and they're going, man, I'm dry. I am worn out. Life has beat me down. Nothing is working right. My marriage is on the rocks. My business is falling apart. I don't have any money. I don't have any health. I'm the doctor's called. I got to come back. So here's what I need to do. I need to work harder. No. That is not what God is calling us to do. He's saying, come to the river. Come to the source of the water. Taste and see that even in the dry places, even in the driest space in your life, our God can speak. And He wants to speak to you. See, the Israelites immediately forgot this. They saw the desert. They saw the challenges. And they immediately said, we got to fix this. We got to come up with water. We got to come up with a place. We got to come up with a plan. We've got to work harder. Friends, God did not design us to do it on our own. He designed us to surrender. It's not about us. It's about Him and getting to know His heart. Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, that's a big churchy word and churchy phrase. Here's how it breaks out. You're going to be blessed if you want and desire a right relationship with God. That's how he is going to pour into you. When we are so hungry, God, I want to know your heart. God, I want to know your spirit. I want to, I want to be in your word. I want, to, I want to listen to you. I want to sing songs of praise to you. I want to know what you are guiding for me. Do we hunger for that kind of relationship? Are we that thirsty? I want to tell you something that you may know, but 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. You may know that. Cornell University did a study in 2011. They did three study 3,000 people, even those that drank enough, drank enough water, 75% of them were still found to have a net fluid loss because they drank a lot of caffeine, they had a very high sodium diet. Anybody? I mean, that's like two big ones right there. All right? So it doesn't matter how much you drink. I had a doctor tell me one time, you need to drink your weight. If you weigh 200 pounds, you need to drink 200 ounces of water a day. Are you insane? I'll have to move a bed into the bathroom. I'll never leave. I can't drink that much water in a day. We are chronically dehydrated. Dehydration, did you know this, causes fatigue, foggy memory, irritability, and short-term memory loss. And did you know this, that dehydration causes fatigue, foggy memory, irritability... Short-term memory loss. I used to ride with a competitive cycling crew, and they, they kept telling me, you know, you need to drink when you're riding. And said, but if you're thirsty, it's too late. You've got to drink before you're thirsty. In 2014, they did a study of, uh, and they said that 48% of all kidney stones came from dehydrated people. The dehydration was a major, major factor in kidney stones. Okay, Don, what's with all the medical? We don't really care. The point is this. Thirst can affect you physically. It'll affect your body. But often we go run in to drink from wells that don't sustain us. I run to soda. I run to coffee. I run to all these things that actually are going against what I need. And to be hydrated. 
Friends, it can affect you spiritually as well. Emptiness, dryness is designed to lead us to the correct well. The correct well is a close relationship with Him. God is calling us to that. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well in the middle of the day. Hey, can you get me a drink of water? And she's like, hey man, you're not supposed to ask me that kind of stuff. And then he asks her a gentle question. He says, can you go get your husband? She hangs her head and says, I don't have a husband. And God, and Jesus, in his kind way, he calls out the well that she had been going to that was not sustaining her. Yeah, you, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with right now is not, not doing it for you either. He said, but if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And her response is, well, how do you know what's going on in my life? You don't know me. Is that how she responded? She said, I want that. Give me that. Question, how do you respond when the Holy Spirit calls you out? When the Holy Spirit shows you a well that hasn't been working? Maybe it's a preacher. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a, something on the radio. Maybe it's a family member. And they're trying to lovingly encourage you. You keep going to a well that's not satisfying. How do you respond? Mad? Defensive? Well, you don't know me. Who are you to judge? I mean, do we throw that out there? Or do we let God work in our hearts? Maybe, maybe God, have you ever thought about this? Maybe God doesn't give you what what you want because he's trying to give you what you need. Is your thirst for God too small? Notice I didn't say, do you go to church enough? That's not the point. It's, do you thirst for a relationship with Him? Are you hungry for more of His Word and more of His life? You see, what God is telling Israel, and Jesus is telling that woman at the well, is that you have been heard. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned. You are remembered. Now, we may forget things, but our God doesn't forget. Whatever dry season you're in, He's heard you. And He brings healing. And my hope for this summer and this series of study is that you remember. That we remember to spend time with Him. That we remember He has not abandoned us. He has not abandoned His people. He has not abandoned His throne. That we never forget God is working. No matter what this crazy world looks like. It's irrelevant. Our God has never left the throne. There's not one thing that has snuck up on Him. There's not one thing that has surprised Him. He will make springs gush forth in the wilderness. Did you hear the writer? He didn't say, uh, there'll be a little drink. Gushing forth, pouring out. says, streams will water the wasteland. Friends, I think he wants to reawaken our thirst for him. In that video intro that Franklin made for the beginning, his voice and the voiceover that he wrote for it, I want you to hear some of the things about it. He made three or four versions. We're going to show different ones throughout the summer. But I want you to hear some of the lines from it. He said, I don't know what tomorrow brings, 
But I know that this stream, this living water, will sustain me all the days of my life. And in those moments when I feel lost, I'll drink from the well that never runs dry. Hope in the wilderness. Our God is a way maker, a refuge. He is our portion and our strength. His love is like streams in our desert. May you be filled by the only one that can quench your thirst. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that you and you alone can satisfy. So, Father, we surrender. We thirst for you. In a dry and barren land, we need you. We need you to refresh us so that we can refresh others. So that we can go make disciples of yours. So that we can go impact this world and show how great you are. Oh, my soul thirsts for you. Fill us, Father. Fill us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.